So I'm excited. I just wanted to be known for the record uh, a few things before we really dive into to today. Uh, number one, I've only had two cups of coffee, all right? Uh, and um, I, I, I just got it. Number two, uh, how many of you guys know who Israel Holton is? Like four, five, okay, well, that's more than I expected. All right, so we got in the car today, and I don't know what happened, but on the way to church, I was like, hey, guys, we're going to listen to this song. It, this is what I grew up on. And uh, we straight up turned on the song, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, and again I say, yes. And so I was just like, I'm like jamming out, like doing all the drum parts on my leg and stuff. And my son's back there like, can I just read? And so, uh, but it was a great, it was a great uh, ride to church this morning. I'm pumped up about today. Uh, out of, uh, if you're new here, let me just, first and foremost, my name is Mike, and I get the privilege and honor of uh, serving uh, this community, and I love this community so much. Uh, what we do primarily is we take a passage of scripture or chapters or books in the scripture, and we walk through it line by line. And so we are in the process of walking through Mark chapter 14 and 15, which is really the last week of Jesus's life and ministry before the cross, leading up to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. Uh, and then you'll never guess what Easter Sunday is going to be about. Jesus and the resurrection, all right, which is Mark 16, and so literally line by line. And so today, I actually, I have a lot, and um, I want to make sure that I get you guys out of here somewhat on time, and so uh, I have a lot that I want to cover, and so we're going to just kind of dive right in. And so this is week four of a series we've called Holy Moments, where Jesus takes our ordinary moments and transitions them and turns them into holy moments. And I need to let you know now I'm going to start off teachy, and I'm going to get very preachy towards the end. Is that cool? Yeah. Uh, excellent. And if it isn't cool, I got the microphone. Sorry. And so uh, here we go. Here we go. We got lots, lots to cover. If you're taking notes, um, I'll give you the message title in just a moment. So this is Jesus. They, uh, last week we talked about how Peter would not deny him, how Peter ended up piping up and saying, I'm never going to end up denying him. And then what did Jesus say? No, you're not going to deny me once, twice, but you're going to end up denying me three times, three times. And then after that, they transition, and the next scene in the story is them praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I've got a lot, we're going to break down a lot of the words today, because that's going to be imperative to where we're going at the end. But let's pick up in chapter 14, verse 32. And when they, had, and when they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. Okay, so Gethsemane is also known as the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And if you've ever been to Israel, um, it's, an, it's this beautiful place that is overlooking the temple, what is now the Temple Mount back then, what was the temple. And it's just a stunning, stunning place. But in order to understand the significance of this garden, we need to really talk about some of the, the meanings of it. See, Gethsemane is home to literally hundreds, if not maybe a thousand olive trees. And these olive trees are literally dating back thousands of years. And the literal name for Gethsemane means olive press, olive press, which is important for where we're going with this. 
And so Jesus is going into the olive press to end up praying into this garden where the olive trees are, the olive press, to end up taking time to pray before he is ultimately handed over and arrested um, for him being who he is. And I think it's interesting because Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And notice it is Peter, James, and John in that order. And I believe that that order is significant because Peter means rock or stone. And, and John, I'm sorry, James means replacement, okay? And then John means, anyone know what John means? Grace. He said gracious. It's grace. So, all right, don't, like, anyways. But gracious, gracious, God's grace, God's grace. So Peter, rock. James, replacement, John, grace. If you're taking notes, write that down because that is going to be very important for where we're going in just a few moments. Verses 34 through 36. And he said to them, my soul, this is Jesus talking, is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell onto the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I think that this is the moment in Jesus' life where we see his true humanity being displayed right here. Because Jesus came to this earth with a singular mission to seek and save the lost. And he understood that with this mission of seeking and saving the lost, there would have to be a sacrifice, an atonement for the sins of all of us who were lost at that time. And so Jesus is literally hours before he's handed over to, to end up being betrayed and, and, and arrested and brought to Caiaphas' house. And then later, before the governor Pontius Pilate, he knows what's lying before him. He knows the agony. He knows the weight. And he knows that the wrath of God is about to be displayed on his life. And Jesus, Jesus, a humble servant, according to Philippians 2, he ends up going to this garden and he starts praying. And he says a prayer that I believe many of us would, would be praying if we knew what was about to face us. God, let, this, let there be another way. Let this cup pass. God, I, I don't want to walk through this. I don't, I don't want to experience the agony. I don't want to experience the pain. And then the wording that he uses is Abba, which, which is the simplest form of just saying dad. I think about whenever Judah or Allie, we go to Stewart's gas station, right? Um, and it was, by the way, I heard they came out with new ice cream flavors, which I need to go try. Total side note. But, like, we're sitting in Stewart's, right? And, and, and now that they're a little older, I just kind of leave them in the car because I, I know that whenever they come in, they're like, Daddy, can we get some M&Ms? I'm just like, no, yes, because you're so sweet, right? Um, that's kind of that's like the innocence of that moment of just, Dad, can we get this? Or Daddy, please, or Daddy. And I'm just thinking about this is that moment where Jesus is sitting there and he's just saying, Dad, Dad, I, please let this cup pass. Dad, please let this cup, let the cup of your wrath pass. Let the, let the agony I'm about to go through Dad, please let it pass. It's the humanity of Jesus entering into this moment. It continues on in, in verse 37 through 42. And he says, And when he came and found 
I'm sorry, and, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, notice he called him by his old name. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you're taking notes or if you feel it's cool to highlight in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight that in your Bible. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words, referencing what he just said. God, Dad, let this cup pass, but not my will and yours but your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Verse 41, and he came a third time, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come that the Son of Man is betrayed us, or is, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then he says this, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so Jesus went to this garden for three hours. Jesus went to this garden and three times he prayed. Jesus went to this garden with three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And, and, and the prayer was so deep. The prayer was so intimate. The prayer was so agonizing that according to Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it literally says that Jesus was praying so hard that he started bleeding in his sweat. Now, I am not that smart, and I understand this, and I'm going to attempt to say this, but there is an actual condition called uh, hemothoidosis, if I said that correctly. For all of you medical geeks out there, you can correct me later, all right? But it is a scientific name where the body becomes under so much stress that literally the blood vessels in your body end up busting, and the ones near your sweat glands will end up mixing with the sweat and that people will literally start sweating blood. That's the agony that Jesus is under in this moment. That's the tension that Jesus is experiencing. That's the pressure and the weight and the stress that he is experiencing. And then it says that he knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He turns to his disciples. He said, all right, guys, come on and get on up so that the betrayer can come and do what it is that he's about to do. This is why in Hebrews, guys, whenever it talks about, in Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about how we have such a high priest who can empathize with all the things we, that we experience, he can. How many of us have been stressed? Show of hands, right? How many of you guys have been dealing with anxiety? How many of you guys, you have a hard time sleeping at night? And not because of the kids, just, just have a hard time sleeping. Yeah. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. And this is why it is such a privilege that he is our high priest. So he's in this olive press, right? And something I think that's interesting is the process that they... Um, that they use to, to harvest the olives for the oil and, 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 and pull out every aspect of it. And so if you've never um, seen this, you can go Google it and, and research it. And I'm telling you, everything on Google is truth. 
no, in all seriousness, you can actually go like research this, and this is historically correct. But the way that they would do it is they would gather all of the olives from the tree, and then they would put it into this olive press. And then they would take a stone, and they would literally just let the stone sit on the olives. And the first pressing, with no weight, just gravity in the stone, it would end up pulling from the olives this very, very, very fine oil that they would then take and they would use to light the lamps in the temple and in the Holy of Holies. The second press was they would take the same olives and they would start to put a little bit added weight. They would start to leverage the weight up against the olives and they'd start to crush it a little bit more to, to get, get some, some more oil out of it. But wasn't the pure oil, it was kind of that, that in-between oil right there. And then that oil would then be used as a healing ointment for people. Whenever they would have a scab or a cut or they would experience stomach aches, they would drink some of the olive oil and it would, it would come to them and, or, or as they were taking it, it would bring a sense of healing to their body. And then the third press, which I think is really interesting, is, is, is just as, as intense. They would then add more weight and they would press and try to get every last drop of olive oil out of these olives to the point that it ended up crushing the seeds in the olive. And because of the seeds being crushed, the oil would actually turn a reddish color. And then they would take that olive oil and they would make soap out of it. Now, I think this is interesting because, number one, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the olive press. He's praying not one time, not two times, but three times. Three times there's a crushing. Three times there's a pressing that Jesus is walking through. And just like olive oil was used to, to light the lamps in the temple, Jesus is the light of the world. Just like olive oil was used for healing, Jesus is the ultimate healer, forgiving our sins, but also healing us emotionally and spiritually as well. And the third, just like the olive oil was used as a soap to make people clean, does his blood not wash away our sins and make us clean? And, and, and so Jesus is experiencing this. Man, this is some serious prayers. And so if you want to know the title of my message, it's this, prayers that make you bleed. Prayers that make you bleed, and I've got five quick points, and I'm going to go very quick because this is all my intro. Y'all think I'm joking. I ain't joking today. I got five quick points about prayer that I know I've been learning in prayer, and so I want to invite you just to write these down. And I'm going to go really quick through these, and then we're going to, we're going to keep going into the message. Uh, number one about prayer. Prayer is how we strengthen our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Two things about that. Prayer is how we strengthen our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Notice that Jesus prayed, Father. Notice that when Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 7, it was our Father. Meaning the same Father that Jesus prayed to is our Heavenly Father that we have an opportunity to pray to. And the best thing that we can do is to stir up our faith and just start saying, Father, I need your help today. Father, I just want to say you are holy. Man, if you don't know what to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and literally start reciting the Lord's Prayer if you need to. The second point I have is our prayers are serious. And I, I got a little, little testimony, all right? 
uh, and I have some witnesses in here with this, but our prayers are serious. Like, I, I don't know if you understand this, but when you pray, God takes it seriously. And sometimes you just got to keep praying. You just got to keep going back. Just be like, God, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. God, I need you to move in this area. God, I need a healing for this. God, I need a breakthrough for this. God, I just need more of you, right? Luke 18, the nagging widow. Jesus said, I want people to come and nag me with their needs. All right, now, all that being said, this is a little praise report. As you guys know, I'm driving a new truck. Um, I like it. It's a, it's a, it's a maverick. Yeah, three of you. All right, let me tell you a little bit of a story, all right? And this, this, is, this is cool. So back in July of last year, we do staff prayer uh, between Albany, Brooklyn, and Staten Island every week uh, at uh, roughly 10 a.m. And for an hour, we just spend time taking prayer requests and praying. And every week, the staff can tell you, what was my prayer request? The Maverick. I wanted a black hybrid 2022 Ford Maverick, and I was okay with the XLT, but I was like, God, whatever you end up, you know, giving me, I'm totally okay with, and I'm telling you, every week, I'd pray that prayer, every week, and, and like, we had one car, and with two kids, one in preschool, and then one in second grade doing 17 sports, um, our lives were chaotic, our marriage was like, stressful at times. Like I remember getting in the car and Christy's like, just buy a vehicle. And I'm just like, I'm praying for that Maverick in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right. No lie. Um, and then finally I get a call. I get a call from Secu and, and they're like, hey, uh, we've, we've got this interest thing. And, and, you know, because your score, you get lower interest and all that. And I was like, all right, that's great. And then Christy's like, all right, you better go find your Maverick. And I was like, all right. So I kid you not, I called like 70 dealers across all of upstate New York, Jersey, Massachusetts, uh, Connecticut, I was even willing to go to Pennsylvania to like pick this thing up. And you know what they said? We ain't got any Mavericks. We ain't got any. And I was just like, God, what am I supposed to do? Literally, I caught a guy in Amsterdam. Oh, God bless his soul. Um, that was very Southern of me, right? Bless, bless, bless your heart, you know? And I mean that for real. I called the guy, and I was like, hey, man, I saw your website. You, you've got this Maverick. He's like, yeah, man, that's been sold. I don't know why Ford put it up there. By the way, good luck trying to find this. It's sold out in the nation. Click. I was like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? I finally found Bentley Ford in Long Island. I found it, and I got it for a reasonable price, about 10000 less than I, I would have paid if I would have waited six months to hopefully get on a list to be able to get it here. And so I got my black 2022 Ford Hybrid Maverick Lariant, and I'm just like, people are like, that's so awesome. Here's the thing, I prayed specifically for that, and God answered my prayer. That's, that's what, it's like, be specific. Be thank you, thank you, thank you. It's like you're praying for the parking spot at ShopRite. Be specific. I, I'm being serious. No. This is what Charles Spurgeon says about prayer. He says, he who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. I love that right there. Because whenever we can get in our quiet place and we can start crying out to God and together you and God can overcome whatever situation or temptation that you're facing in your life, I'm telling you, God can do something in prayer that then manifests itself in the natural. 
The third point that I have, that was my longest point, I promise. The third point is this. Prayer is both beautiful and painful. Prayer is both beautiful and painful. Christy and I, we have been praying about something very uh, particular for several months now, and, and we are literally walking through, and we'll share on this in a few weeks, we are literally walking through something that is absolutely painful. But in the middle of the pain, there is a beauty that we are experiencing. There is a joy that I have right now. And so there, is, there are times in your life where prayer is going to be groaning in your heart. Prayer is going to be like gut-wrenching. It's like Jesus taking the scalpel and, and cutting you and doing some serious work in there. And at the same time, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. My, 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 and I just want to quote this, um, Romans 8. Romans 8. All of the creation is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. All of creation is crying out. And then point number four, the flesh is weak. And this is something that we see. Jesus went to his disciples, and what did he say? Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I don't know if you know this, but there is a spiritual war that is happening for your soul. There's a spiritual war that's happening for Albany right now. There's a spiritual war that is happening all around us. And, and so we, the more we pray, the more we spend time with our Heavenly Father, inviting the Holy Spirit to invade our lives, the easier it's going to be for our flesh to resist the temptation to give up. And then my fifth point, God's will is always better. Jesus did not want to go to the cross Jesus did not want to be beaten. Jesus did not want to have a crown of thorns placed on his head. Jesus did not want to have the nails drive through his hands and his feet and him be lifted up and humiliated completely naked in front of everyone. But even then he said, not my will, but your will be done. Which I just need to say this. Sometimes when you pray, God says no. Sometimes when we pray, God says no. And when he says no, it's because his ways and his will for your life is going to be much higher than what you think. Sometimes God shuts doors that you don't want shut. Some God, sometimes God allows a relationship to end or to be broken off. And it's because his will his will for your life is so much greater than your will for your life. What was his will? To seek and save the lost. So Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, enters into humanity, right? And when he enters into humanity, he's living under the Mosaic law. He's living under what we call now the New Testament. And so Jesus is entering, and he recognizes that he did not come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law, meaning that he was going to be, as we talked about, as Kevin talked about two weeks ago, the Paschal Lamb that takes the sins of the world, the perfect Lamb that takes the sins of the world, so that he can fulfill the old covenant and usher in a new covenant. So at the beginning of this, I said there was a few words that were significant. Number one was Gethsemane, meaning olive press. And then I said with him, he brought Peter, James, and John. Peter meaning stone or tablet. James meaning replacement. John meaning grace. And in, in the agony of what Jesus was experiencing in the garden at this moment, he recognized the mission that had laid out before him by his heavenly father. And he said, I have to fulfill what it is that I came to this earth 
to do. And this is the mission that Jesus was fighting with. And had he given in, we would not be here today as a church. Had Jesus given in, we would still be sacrificing lambs on Passover. We would, we would still be following all of the Mosaic laws. I like shrimp. All right? I, I like, I, I'm just saying, I like shrimp. And thank God that I'm not living under the Mosaic law anymore. And I think it's interesting. In the olive press, he brought Peter, James, John, stones or tablets being replaced with grace. Stones being replaced with grace. See, what Jesus knew was his mission was his mission was not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law so that he could replace it with a new covenant, a covenant of grace that was then available not just for the Jews, but for all of the Gentiles. And because of that, we are grafted into the family of God. We live under a covenant of grace, which means that when you mess up, you can ask for forgiveness and you don't have to go sacrifice something. You can sit there and say, the blood of Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, and I'm declaring that over my life, and you can live victorious and without condemnation. This is what Jesus did, what Jesus invites us into. Now, let me keep reading. And, and this is, it's, now I've shifted. Have you noticed? I'm going to get all preachy now, all right? It's getting all, getting all pumped up. I don't know if Christy put espresso in the coffee today or what, but I'm telling you, it's good stuff. Verse 43 through 45. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, Judas Iscariot came one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer has given them a sign, saying, The one that I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when, they had, and when he had came, he went up to him at once, and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now let me just... Let me just Pause there. How many of you have been betrayed before? Show of hands. So is Jesus. So is Jesus. He was betrayed by a friend. He was betrayed by a disciple. He was betrayed by a brother. He was betrayed by his own creation. I want you to think about that. Again, Hebrews 4, we have a high priest who can empathize with us. Continuing on in verses 46 through 50, he says, And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who drew his, um, one of those who stood by drew his sword, referencing Peter, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against as a robber with swords and with clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. This is the moment where Jesus is being handed over to the religious people. Where Jesus is being handed over to those who did not like him. Where Jesus is being handed over to be executed. And he knows it. This is what he was praying would not happen. Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. I'm going to turn to John chapter 18 as we start to land the plane, get ready to close. 
John chapter 18 is a John's account of what was taking place. And one of the things you can look at through all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is there are four different perspectives telling the same story. And so as we've done multiple weeks, and we're going to continue to do the next couple weeks, we're going to look at different um, perspectives, so to speak, of the Gospels that are reflecting that of what's taking place in Mark. And so John chapter 18, verse 3, it says, So Judas, having produced a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so John's account goes into a little bit more detail right here. And there's three things about verse 3 that I just want to point out for contextualization right here. Uh, the first thing is this, a band of soldiers. Now, I don't know if this is truly what it was, but what we know historically is that the soldiers would have been Roman soldiers and a band historically would have accounted for 600 soldiers. I don't know if it was truly 600. We don't see a number. It may have been 60. It may have been six. I have a feeling it was more than six, all right? But here you have Judas arriving with the chief priest and with, let's just say, for let's be conservative, let's just say 60 soldiers, all right, that arrive with them to arrest Jesus. The second thing to point out, to understand contextually, Jesus could not be arrested by the Jewish people. He could only be arrested by the Romans. Meaning whenever the Jewish people had an issue with Jesus, they would then have to go and say, hey, Jesus has done this, he needs to be arrested. Only Romans could execute Roman law. And then the third thing is that the only reason he would be arrested is if he presented a threat to Caesar. Which meaning somehow Judas and the chief priest had to convince the Romans that he was then a threat to Caesar. And so this is the scene that's going on. So you've got the disciples. You've got some of the chief priests. They're sitting there. And, and then you've also got this group of soldiers. And they're marching into the garden where Jesus is praying to the point he's bleeding. And this is what takes place in verse 4 and 5. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Which isn't that like Jesus? Like, hey, let me just ask you a question. I already know the answer, but who do you seek? What is truth, right? We'll learn on that in two weeks. Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who was betrayed, was standing with them. Now, it is very common for us to like just, we just read that and we just kind of gloss through it really quick. It's like Jesus sitting there, it's like, I am he, like, and we don't think much of it. But in our Western theological minds, in our Western education, we're taught that it's simply just I am he, when really that translation right there is not an accurate account of what it was that Jesus said. See, in the Greek, it would have been better translated as I am who I am, which then would have correlated with the Hebrew, and a better translation would have been I am that I am. You know, where, you know where it says that in the Bible? Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where Moses was walking as a shepherd, doing his normal life, just doing his shepherd thing. I don't know why I think shepherds do this, but this is my cane, my staff right here. All right, and they're just walking with their staff, 
And as Moses is walking, he sees a burning bush. He's probably passed by this ordinary bush multiple times, right? And so he's walking, he's doing his little shepherd thing. Bah! He sees this bush and he's like, oh, let me go check it out. He walks up there and he recognizes that the bush is not on fire or that it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And Moses says, Lord, Lord, who are you? And how does God respond? I am who I am, or I am that I am. This is the moment right here where Jesus is revealing his divinity to the disciples. He's revealing his divinity to the soldiers. He's revealing that I am that I am. Who who are you looking for? You're looking for I am, and I am that I am. Like this is a this is a huge, huge huge moment. And and, and let me just put it this way. Jesus in the gospel of John says seven I am statements, right? Let me just read those for you just to recap you. I am the bread of life. He says that. He says, I am the light of the world. We just talked about that. I am the door. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life and I am the vine, John 15. And now he's saying right here, I am that I am. This is his eighth I am statement. Do you know what the number eight means? New beginnings. Meaning this is a new beginning that is taking place in front of all of you. Now, this is really cool, right? The next verse is something that everyone just glosses over. It's just like, oh, okay. It's, you know, it's like whenever Jesus was re- resurrected, over 500 people were resurrected. You're not taught that, right, in Sunday school. Um, but right here it says, and when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They fell to the ground. Who else fell to the ground? Moses. Who else fell to the ground? Isaiah. Who else fell to the ground? Jeremiah. Like I can keep looking and go with Who else fell to the ground? How about a man named Saul who later became Paul? who became the greatest apostle to ever walk this earth outside of Jesus Christ, the best church planner out there. There is something that happens when you have a moment with I am and the glory of God ends up revealing himself to you and you get hit and you are dumbfounded and all you can do is drop to your knees and say, woe is me. And this is that moment that's taking place right here where Jesus says, I am that I am. And you've got soldiers who don't worship Yahweh. You've got disciples who are good friends. You've got all of the other chief priests. And what happens? They fall to the ground because the deity of Jesus is being revealed in this moment. The deity of Jesus is being revealed in this moment. And look, just for humor's sake, I just got to jump back to Mark chapter 14 because I think that this is funny. Um, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, him being Jesus, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. So I just think that's funny, all right? It's like, he just, I mean, God's glory just revealed and all he could do is just run away to the point that, He didn't care if he was butt naked. He's just running. He's running. I don't know what's going on over there. I I, I want to stress to you guys the power and the importance of your prayers. The power and the importance of who it is that you are praying to. 
Because we're not praying to this little baby Jesus. You 80s babies will know exactly who I'm talking about right there, Talladega Night style, you know. We are not praying to a dead, dormant God. We are praying to the great I am. We are praying to the propitiation of our faith, the atonement for our faith, the Paschal Lamb. We are praying to our friend, but our friend happens to be sovereign and king and is above all of creation. We are literally praying to a star-breathing God. We are praying to a God who heals and redeems and, and, and can literally take our brokenness and completely restore it. That's who we're praying to. And so listen, I told you guys last week, I told you guys last week we were going to do something today. We were going to pray. We were going to pray, right? Y'all remember that? Yeah, okay. So we're about to pray. We're about to pray because we get invited to pray with Jesus for God to move. And I want to see God move in Albany. I want to see what has never happened in the history of the city take place. I want to see your friends and my friends who are far from God step into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to see God move in a powerful way. And so... I'm getting you out of here on time. But we're going to pray. We still got 15 minutes left. Hallelujah. That's that Pentecostal, like 27 minutes later, you know. Last week, you guys, and y'all can just spread it all out, all out. Last week, you guys wrote over 100 names of people that we are praying for, that we are believing for that we are asking for God to redeem, asking for God to save, asking for God in his glory to encounter them, to lead them to a place of repentance where they end up meeting the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And you guys filled out um, right at or right over 100 names. And, and I'll tell you, this past Wednesday night, we had our little leadership meeting, and you know what we did? We prayed for everyone by name. Everyone. Laid hands on them. I'm telling you, it was, I'm crying like a baby uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And so first thing is if you did not fill out one of these and you know someone who's far from God, we want to pray for them. And at the response tables in the back, you can go take one of these cards and you can put the first name only, if it's Bob or Tom or Sue or Joe, whoever, and put that first name. And, and, and I want to encourage you to come and lay it up here at our makeshift altar. This is what we're going to call an altar. It's plywood, painted black. All right. I want you to take this, and I want you to bring it up here if you did not do that. If you need a pen, they're in the back at the response tables. For the rest of us, what I want to encourage us to do is for you, if you feel comfortable, to take a step in faith and to come up here and to literally lay hands on some of these cards and to pray for, let's see, it's a fantastic name, Michael. Whoever Michael is, we're going we're gonna to pray for Michael and KJ, and Rocco, and John, and Victor, and Ted, and Cam, and Ray. And here's one that I thought was interesting. I don't know who did this, but thank you, because you can pray for me too. Someone put Pastor Mike and Christy. We are saved, but we need all the prayer that we can get. So please pray for us, for Jeff, for Melody, for Melissa. And the names go on and on and on and on. Why? Because they matter to God. Why? Because they matter to the kingdom. It's not just a number that we want to get in here. It's a person that we do not want to see enter into the gates of hell and to step into the glory in the heavenly place with Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. And I've said this since the past three or four months now. We're going to be a praying church. And so we're going to pray. 
And so Nathan's going to dim the lights. I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and I'm going to open us up in prayer. And if you feel comfortable to come up here and, and, and just pray over these names as loud, as quiet, however you want, kneel at the altar, I want to encourage you to do that. And we're going to intercede as a church on behalf of those who are far from God. And so Heavenly Father, God, we thank you right now for the names that are, that are up here at this altar. And Father, I just ask God, regardless of where they may be right now, regardless of who they may be, Father, that you would just stir up their hearts, that according to Ezekiel 36, that you would take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Father, that the kindness of your Holy Spirit would lead them to a place of repentance, Father. God, that your Spirit would just move, and Lord, that we as a church community would just be bold in our invite and embracing who they are and telling them about the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, we, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, God. We've seen it at the college campuses across this country. God, we want to see it here in Albany, New York, Father. We want to see an awakening of your church in Albany, New York. We want to see a harvest of souls in Albany, New York. And Father, I just ask, God, that you would just stir something up in our heart right now like we've never experienced, Father, that there would be a heart of intercession as a church for you to break down the strongholds, for you to mend relationships. The racial barriers would be broken down. The socioeconomic barriers would be broken down. Father, that your spirit would go forth, that you would mend hearts, God. You would restore families, Father. You would set the captives free, Jesus. God, we pray for freedom. Freedom over these names in Jesus' name. Freedom over these names. Liberty for salvation and grace in Jesus' name. And church, if, if you, if you want to come up here, you can. If not, that's totally fine. I just want to invite you to a time of praying. And we're just going to pray for the next 10 minutes or so as we sing some songs. And we're just going to enter into a time of corporate intercession.